It's episode 121 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Kate O'Connor. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I am very well. I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. So you're perhaps best known currently, anyway, because mm. we'll talk about your improv past in a little bit. I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Um, you're currently uh, a member of the Descendants. I am a Hoopla House team. Yes. Tell me all about the Descendants. Well, um, firstly, I'm. Super, super excited to be part of one of Hoopla's house teams. It's a relatively new endeavour for them. Um, and I think it's a really great idea. Um, Steve Rowe is fantastic at getting people actually on stage and performing and enjoying improv in the way it's meant to be enjoyed. So um, first off, I think it's brilliant that he's doing that. Um, the Descendants are a... We are a narrative team so um we started out life just oh well, we started out life just through auditioning so mm. that that was i suppose square one what was that process like um it was formalized in a good way i had never done a true improv audition before mm. so it was um i i mean i don't i can't i have nothing to compare it to but I imagine <laughs> that compared to other improv auditions, it was uh, it was up there as one of the good ones. Very supportive atmosphere. Um, we all sat in the uh, the upstairs room in the Miller, which mm -hmm. is Hoopla's spiritual and actual home. <laughs> Used to be a Pizza Hut. Did it? Yeah. You see, I love improv, but I also love Pizza Hut, uh, so I'm a little bit torn as to, like... No. All right. You, you, go on, all you right. know. All right, improv's better than Pizza Hut. Yes. Uh, okay, fair enough, all right. If I had to choose between the two. I can't. It was so easy to grind you down. Yeah, well, I don't know, yeah. I mean, I do the Improv London podcast, not the Pizza Hut London podcast. That's true. That hey, is... maybe this is a sponsorship deal. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, Whoa. I'm trying to get rid of the improv, I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> Mainly about Pizza Hut. Yeah. And specifically Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut is my favourite type of pizza restaurant. No. Yeah. What about Domino's? No, I don't like Domino's. What? Yeah. Maybe I've just had bad experiences, but I have to say those, not, not as nice. I and think also, no salad bar. I love Domino's because uh, I, I have a nostalgia for it from when they sponsored The Simpsons. <laughs> I will always love Domino's just oh, because of that. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, I've gotten sidetracked here. No, sorry, that was, that was entirely my fault. Uh, so you were in the ex Pizza Hut. I was in the, the ex Miller. Pizza Hut. Yeah, I was basking in the uh, the atmospheric pizza glory. Yeah, I imagine that does. Oh, oh, it does. There's a lot of oil still in the walls oh. from all the melted cheese. Gives <laughs> <laughs> it a really a real tang. The whole the whole room. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we were all... I mean, there is a tang in that room. There is. But I didn't but think in it a was good the, way. The, yeah. the pizza. Anyway, <laughs> that explains a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, mm, we've solved that mystery <laughs> for everyone. In, Improv in mystery. Solved. Solved. <laughs> That's another podcast you could do. Don't give me any more ideas for podcasts. Sorry. I've got so many ideas Sorry. for podcasts. I'll stop. No, I, I, I like it. But I'm like, there's so many things I would like to do a podcast about. And I'm like, no, do one podcast. <laughs> We're looking forward to all of them. Well, it's very nice of you. So once I've spoken to everybody in the improv scene, 
Uh, then you'll move on. And then I'll move on. Okay. Once this is complete. Deal. It will never be complete. No. <laughs> Tell me about the the, uh, the audition process. Uh, yeah, so we were all sat up in the room in the Miller and uh, Steve kind of called us up in what appeared to be a fairly random way yeah. and just got us to do scenes together. He gave us like little starters. So it wasn't just the three of you on stage go, mm, it, you yeah. know, he, he, you know, maybe gave us like a word or a line or whatever, you know, in, in the way that you would, if you were performing in a show. Yep. Um, and never realized that Steve has a poker face, ah. but he does. All oh, right. Um, sometimes when he's in show mode, as in getting the show ready, mm-hmm. I think he has that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe it was that same one he was in. Yeah, it's kind of business. It's like there's business needs to be done. This is business time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my sort of business face. But yeah. that's interesting. Yes, I hadn't really thought yeah. about that. No, it's good though. Um, and it was a super supportive environment as in the way that everything is in, in Hoopla. Um, so after every scene, everyone was super encouraging of everybody else's work and it just made for like a really happy and um useful learning experience i mean Mm. even if people didn't necessarily get into either of the teams they were auditioning for two teams that day what is now the descendants and also the um gammas the short form group as well so i think for people who didn't necessarily get into those two groups it was still a really good and useful opportunity for them too. Let us so. hope so. I think so, yeah. Like I it, mean, you don't know because I, I, you guys I mean, I'm not, team, I'm so not one of them, know, so. but <laughs> I can imagine that it, it gave people the opportunity to do the audition and it wasn't a scary, yeah. horrible thing that people walked away from, like, you know, feeling like it was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was great. I think, I think auditioning is hard. And I think improv auditions are maybe even harder. I don't know. It's you. You I mean it's so difficult to feel prepared? Mm, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the 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 double edged sword, I guess. But yeah, no, it was good. I was, I I thought he did a great job. Um, and I know that they're doing more in the future because they'll be auditioning for new teams. Yes. In the not too distant future. Yes, so, very exciting. Yeah. Do you know what they are? I don't. I don't have okay. the in, the inside information. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, you were successful, and then um, so the descendants are the narrative, long form narrative. Long form narrative. Yes. Yeah. So um, I know Steve was our original director, and he had a vision for a long a long form narrative show. He didn't necessarily know exactly what that was going to look like, but he himself and Hoopla more broadly have a their own style it's a very joyful type of improv where people are encouraged to create big characters and fantastical places and go on adventures yes which appealed to me a lot um and so our the first show that we created and it's also the show that gave us our name as a group um was a time traveling show. Oh wow! So for anybody who hasn't seen the show, um, it is a, um, it's a it's a really special show to us because it's so mad. <laughs> <laughs> we have this our opening. Um, Steve explained to us that he had this thought about 
kind of the origins of, of improv over in the States and how, you know, back in the day, it was not just a, it was not just a theatrical performance. It was also, um, there was something almost vaguely spiritual about it. Right. Not in a, in a serious minded way, but, you know, you would just be sort of calling upon, um, like, otherworldly forces to inspire what was about to happen on stage. You're trying to bottle something that's not real, mm. effectively. Mm. So in order to take inspiration from that idea, we developed this opening where the five or six of us who are performing in, that, in any particular show have these big black capes. Right. Think like Dementors in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only charming and lovely. And <laughs> <laughs> won't suck the soul out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, good. it's good. It's good to make sure that the audience is clear. I just want to be really clear about yeah, yeah. that. Like, happy, lovely Dementors. <laughs> um, and we go on with our little mascot, which is a, uh, a metronome. And one person hosts the show and they are the Time Lord and they explain to the audience or in fact they ask the audience what is time? And we have great fun like listening to the audience being, well, it's a, it's a concept or it's linear or it's not linear or, you know, <laughs> whatever. And um, so the conceit being that we can actually stop time and we can go to any period in time that we like because, you know, we are people of time and um yeah so we'll ask ask the audience for a period in history um or even you know a date or an, or an era or whatever mm. and then we will transport them back to that point in history and tell them all about it in a in the form of a story wow from that time so. i love historical improv it's really fun yeah, yeah. um so how much research do you do? <laughs> How historically accurate can we expect it to be? Are there certain people who are very good at history and others who are just kind of making it up? Um, it, we do... I'm, I personally do no <laughs> research whatsoever. I can't speak for everyone else in the group, but we were encouraged to just go on our existing knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we also do ask the audience for little tidbits before ah, we start so, you know, we, we are obviously experts yes. in all things ancient Mesopotamia but what do you know <laughs> yeah. uh, so they'll give us you know a little bit of what they know and and that's one of those joyful things where you can make where you can create fantastic callbacks yes. or you know if you can plug any of those things into a show and it, it immediately creates magic for your audience so you keep it quite wide you just ask for them for things from just that era stuff yeah stuff. anything anything goes oh wow yeah. um so usually what happens is that we'll have something that has you know a um and historicalness to it right. it kind of encapsulates the period in history that we're talking about but it's not going to be an accurate Right. historical representation of that thing um it's just just for the crack <laughs> <laughs> so uh what sort of time periods have you been to gosh we have done so much um we've been to the stone age and met woolly mammoths um we've been to victorian england several times people uh, love victorian yeah, england yeah, yeah. um we've been 
Aztecs, we've been through the Russian Revolution. Wow. Um, gosh, yeah, you you name it, we've we visited it. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. And um, could you go to the future? It, theoretically, yes. I don't think we have yet. Are we have any rehearsal we have. Oh, right. We're, yeah. Because you, so you don't specify it has to be the past. No, no, no. Ah. Any point in time is fine. Um, I think I think it's possibly slightly more interesting for the audience if it's the past. But like I say, I don't. we haven't actually done a futuristic one on stage, only in rehearsal. Right. So I'm not too sure. How but... did that work in rehearsal then? Uh, a lot of like <laughs> bleep bloop bloop noises. <laughs> <laughs> that is what the future will sound it like. Will. So that's quite accurate. hundred yeah, 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 yeah. Right? A lot of like flying cars, uh, teleportation. You know, all that stuff that's just around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still yeah. waiting yeah. for my hoverboard. <laughs> uh, I rolled my eyes there. Sorry, that's a... That's okay. Uh, that's that's I feel audio, your pain. Audio format. Um, <laughs> so, cool. And so you're doing narrative. So mm. do you have a structure that you're following? Um, we do, yes. It is very, very basic. And it just goes along the kind of... Um, uh, like a, a fair, I want to say a fairy story, fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So once upon a time, um, this this is how life was, and then this strange thing happened, uh, yeah. and because of that, this thing happened, 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 and ever since then, uh, yeah. the end. Lovely. Yeah. Cool. And is it is it an easy structure for the descendants to stick to? Or do you find people adding um, more stuff than necessary? I mean, it, it's a, it is a pretty simple structure. Right? So it's, it's difficult to stray too far from it, but there's always the temptation to go off on little tangents or um, explore characters that aren't necessarily the protagonist mm. to, to a slightly larger degree than we might and... and that can cause slight diversions, as it were. But I think, I think we're, generally speaking, we're pretty good. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about the protagonist. How do you yeah. establish the protagonist at the beginning? Um, we. It will be the person, generally speaking, who's lowest status oh, or lower status. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we like to create an environment in which an audience is rooting for that person. Mm. So you really want them to to do well and you want to see them overcome whatever hurdle is in their way or achieve the goal that they're trying to achieve or, mm. you know, climb the mountain that they need to <laughs> climb. And yeah. Um, yeah, so generally it'll be something like that. And um, a trick that we found quite helpful is... If your initial scene is, say, a two-person scene, and it's not necessarily obvious who the protagonist is, in the next scene, um, one of those two people should be in that following scene. And then we all know the person who was in both of them. That is the protagonist, and we just kind of have to stick to that then. That's that's been solidified. Um, So that was a helpful trick. Yeah, that's a really... I've not heard that before. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if it's widely the done thing, but that's often how we do it. Yeah, no, <laughs> a little shortcut. Because I've spoken to other narrative groups before, and sometimes they've struggled with, you know, establishing who the the protagonist is. There's been a little bit of politeness, and it's like, well, no, you should be the protagonist. Mm-hmm. No, you should be the protagonist. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, no. You need someone to step forward and go, I am the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, well, they won't do that for low status, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, oh, I'm the, the protagonist. protagonist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So do you regularly rehearse? We do. We rehearse um, at least once a fortnight. Um, and we'll often do like, uh, that's with a director mm-hmm. or, a, or a coach or whoever happens to be directing us at the time. And um, we'll often try and fit in other informal rehearsals as well so we'll just if people are around we'll have a get together on the off weeks ah. yeah what, and, do, what form do these get togethers take i mean often a lot of chatting yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but i think uh, it's a valuable part of uh, group building group cohesion though having a lot of chatting oh for sure is, is, yeah is, that's i'd say it's almost as important as you know the actual rehearsals yeah itself. um we anyway, we're fairly good at like allocating a a leader, if you like, for those informal rehearsals, and one person will say, "Right, I'm I'm gonna do. I would like to do this particular exercise, and I will lead it." Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, people will come to the rehearsal with an idea in mind of what they'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the most recent one, I taught the guys Gaston. Ah, do you know Gaston? Yes, I do. But yeah. would you like to explain it for the listeners? Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I forgot that the mic was on and that this wasn't just you. <laughs> well, that's very much that's very much the magic. I, that's a very much the magic that I try and weave while recording yeah. the volume. I never hide the microphone, but I try and draw your attention away from the microphone. Yeah, ta-da! <laughs> um, yeah. So the Disney movie, the well-loved Disney movie, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. Beast. Um, I don't know if it's in the new... Ver- oh, oh, yes, yes it, it is. is. It, it is, is. It, it is. is, it is. Uh, so there's a song in it about the um, the baddie. Oh, and he's so bad. He I is. hate Gaston. I mean, I love hating him, but I really hate him. He's the guy that you love to hate. Oh. With that's... his slicked back hair and his bulging muscles. I don't mind those. It's the fact that... <laughs> it's the fact that he objects to Belle reading. Uh, in the yeah, like, oh, it just makes me angry. Anyway, yeah, 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 he's yeah. just the big misogynist guy who wants to try and get the girl, but she doesn't want him because he's gross. Um, and anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there is spoilers. A song. It's not really spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, there is a song that his little sidekick, whose name completely escapes me, um, that he sings about how great Gaston is, and uh, it's like a really. The song has like a pattern to it, or at least the chorus does. No one drinks like Gaston. No, no one, one thinks like Gaston. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's an improv game where you make up your own version of it, and it's it's really simple to do. So you just all stand in a circle, and the first person will <clears throat> make a statement soon um, that ends in a one-syllable verb. Right. So no one thinks like Gaston and then the next person no one stinks like there Gaston. there you go and then there's the third one um which is a slightly longer pattern but it also has to rhyme so um um no one makes tea and then they might drink like Gaston <laughs> and then the, the fourth the fourth person 
just says a random non sequitur, just completely off the wall statement. So like, he likes to bathe in cherry blossoms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a guy that Gaston. <laughs> and then you just get around and around like that. I think we must have played it for about 15 minutes before <laughs> realised we had to do something else. So. I think that's a perfectly legitimate way of spending your time. It was great. <laughs> we had a great time. It was, it was jolly. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, so we're in <laughs> we're in rehearsals, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so everyone will come with a game. And that was my most recent game that I'm pretty proud of. Cool, cool. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good game. Uh, everyone should play that game. I've started becoming quite didactic in these podcasts. Everyone should do that. Do that. Do more do, of that. Yes. Don't do that. Do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose those um, additional ones give us an opportunity to do more team building stuff Mm -hmm. but outside of the bounds of our shows yeah yeah yeah. so we're actually rehearsing a new show now which is not the time traveling show um and we have a new director nick oran from do not adjust your stage who is brilliant and we all love him and we do miss steve but we do like Nick also. <laughs> He's great. Um, so he has come up with a pretty structured approach to how we're doing our new show. So it's nice to have the juxtaposition between doing kind of the mad, crazy stuff that it reminds you of, you know, workshops that you did when you were first starting out and remembering why you fell in love with improv in the first place and then having the really structured sessions where you can get into the nuts and bolts of of an actual show Mm. um i yeah i I like working that way for sure i think it's working for us cool can you tell me about the new new show i can yeah so um we are doing a show currently uh currently titled the splendiferous world of wonder crump (laughs) um which is a show inspired by and in homage to Roald Dahl. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So um, it, get, it fits f- pretty nicely into the structure that we already had, but it very much celebrates the, the sort of language that Dahl uses and mm. the worlds that he creates and very much the characters and the their bizarreness and there's often a a big a wrestle between good and evil often or there'll be a a trial that somebody needs to to overcome by virtue of a really terrible person who's just a (laughs) gnarly like crooked teethed old slobbery crone and it's it's great fun to play there's so much there's there's so much weirdness to get into it's really difficult not to enjoy doing it yeah so have you done much preparation for that yeah so we've been rehearsing this for about um i think about five or six formal rehearsals now so we've only in the last fortnight actually started performing it um we were all given very strict instructions to go and read as much Roald Dahl as possible. Mm. Um, did you do that? I did, yes. I read The Twits and I read... 
Um, I, I have started reading James and the Giant Peach. Haven't quite finished it yet, but I will. What else did I read? There was another. Oh, it's completely gone out of my head. Oh, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ah, right. Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was great. And reading them again now, like, what, 20 years later, I guess? Can't be that much. It is. <laughs> I know. You're such a charmer. <laughs> yeah, at, le- at least 20 years later, if not, if not more. Um, was great and so nostalgic and I was really struck by how simple those books were Mm. and yet just how evocative they are Mm. and it also reminded me that a child's imagination is something so very powerful because if I had read them now without ever having read them as a child I would just be like, well, this is just a kid's book and it, you know, it's, it's dull. Like not, not a lot really happens. It, well, some of the longer ones yeah. that were written for slightly older children, a lot does happen in them. But like Fantastic Mr. Fox, not an awful lot actually happens in that book. Mm. But it's, it's written in such a way that a seven-year-old child conjures up this absolutely fantastical world and so reading them again, and all of those images came pouring back, and I, I was quite struck by how clever Dahl was with his use of language. And, mm. Yeah. I found a darkness to those books. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That I made me uneasy. Oh, that's interesting. As a child, James and the Giant Peach, I liked, and I liked Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But some of the others just left me feeling unsettled. I don't think he, he would have been entirely disappointed with that. No, not at all. Not at all. He was uh, quite an unhappy older man at the end of his life, I think. So I haven't revisited them as an adult. I haven't read them to my children. I haven't mm. stopped them from reading. I don't actively dislike them in the way I actively dislike Dr Seuss. Oh, well, that's fair. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> Mainly because I like, because that's a lot of work if you're reading to a child. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, so how do you translate? So you've been reading the books. Yes. How do you translate that and make it come alive on stage? Is there, um, is it just kind of, I don't know. There's a certain flavour I think that the books have that we try to capture on stage. So particularly things like using made up words or uh. and, and naming your characters things that are you know totally off the wall or you know we had a <laughs> we had a in our rehearsals the other day we had a pair of characters um i think it was mrs crumplebottom who was the <laughs> wonderful smiley plump little pudding of a lady who ran her own sweet shop and all the children in the village, village loved her and her nemesis, Mr. Rat Features, <laughs> who lived next door, whose hands were disgustingly tiny and pointy and had a nose that was so long that he could only ever walk through doors facing forward and never <laughs> attempt to walk through them sideways. <laughs> and um, Mr. Rat Features um, was... <laughs> um, Leah, who was playing Mr. Rat Features, has 
had that name, nickname, Stick, <laughs> ever since. I think he's nicknamed on our WhatsApp group. <laughs> so. It is strange when your character like that just sort of sticks. Yeah. And then, uh, yes. Yeah. He's going to kill me <laughs> for saying this. He hates it. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah. Oh, dear. No, I'll warn him. It'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, is it sometimes tempting to then have that character appear I don't know I'm just exp- oh reappear do you mean yeah so if you if you've played a character like that yeah it must be tempting to then play that character on stage oh yeah absolutely and that is actively encouraged really oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we've had some completely grotesque characters come up that, that have come up in rehearsals and then you've used them in or, or they've been in the ones on stage have been inspired by stuff that's uh-huh. happened. And I mean, obviously everything is, is made up yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's improv, yeah, but yeah. you can't help but be maybe inspired by things that have happened before. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. No. I think, you know, the reason we have rehearsals is that it gives you little ideas of how you can hmm. create a character in a show. I mean, like, why, why create everything from scratch every time when you might have... A template that you can stick things onto yeah. when you get on stage. You see what I mean? Yeah, I think I think that's legitimate, and that's something I've been thinking about recently. And it's like, well, how much of this, how much has to be made up on the spot, and how much can be drawn from previous things? So, I think it's interesting if you've played a character in rehearsals, and then yeah, it inspires the character when you play uh, a show. Um, but there's also taking things from your life. And that's not making it all up. You're just taking something that already exists and then channeling into improv. So I think that's fine, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, nothing nothing in this life is absolutely original. No. Nothing. (laughs) Everything is inspired by something. Yes. Um, That's the great thing about playing in a team of people. Um, And our our troupe's quite big. I I think there's 11 of us. And we come from a fairly diverse range of backgrounds and it's always interesting to see how different people approach different things yeah, yeah, yeah. um so like one of the guys is fantastic at accents and he's always giving us little tips and he's like well if you want to do this accent try saying this phrase or if you want to um i don't know if you, if you want to speak in a different accent make sure that you're speaking out the front of your mouth or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's quite good and then the other day, somebody said to me that they enjoy when I play an, an animal on stage <laughs> because I really like the physicality of it and just staying in that character, some people find really difficult. So we were we had to be monkeys the other day. <clears throat> and it's just, you know, hunkering over and having your long arms and not being afraid to, like, bounce around and just occupy being a monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the guys was saying, oh, I find it really difficult to to keep it up. Mm. Like, I lose faith. And they were like, how, how do you just keep going? I'm like, well, you just, that is what you are. Just keep being <laughs> it. Like, I, I really have, there's not a trick to it. You just have to accept that that is your, you are now a monkey. Like, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. your fate. And yeah. you just have to go with it. Yeah, um, sort of commit. Commit, yeah. yeah, and that that's the thing. And I, I have that same problem with accents. Like I'll I'll give it a great go, uh, yeah. and then I'll lose faith and 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 taper off. Yeah. So, 
basically we traded tips and the tip was the same tip. Oh, wise, <laughs> Just wise, have faith, wise. commit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So um, that sounds like it's all going very well. Yes, I'm loving it. I'd like you to cast your mind back. Yeah. Tell me about how you discovered improv. Gosh, that's a great question. Um, I didn't really know anything about improv other than whose line is it anyway on the telly. And even then, I don't think I fully understood what it was. It was just some very funny people making jokes. And although ultimately, I guess that is what a lot of improv is. It's not the whole story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I went to university to do my undergrad, I studied at Cardiff Uni. And at the time, I don't know if this is still true, this was quite a few years ago now, but they didn't have a comedy society. Uh -huh. So a couple of people that I knew from my uh, halls of residence decided, right, we're going to create a comedy society. And they had loads of ideas about what they'd like to do. But one of the things they wanted was to run workshops. Um, but none of them were improvisers either. They were just people who enjoyed writing sketches and stand-up and... <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry, um, sketches and stand-up and, you know, all scripted comedy. They wanted to run these workshops and they said, oh, Kate, you'd be a good person to run some improv workshops. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, right, okay, cool. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> they were like, oh, well, just there's these games that you play and you just make stuff up. And I was like, yeah, I could do that, sure. So I ended up just running with that, with absolutely zero prior understanding or experience of having improvised, ran some improv workshops. That is a great, that's a, that's a bold start. Right? Yeah, you've got to admire that. It's like, well, I'm not even going to, you know, yeah, I'm just going to teach it. I think that being entirely naive of the situation actually made it miles easier. There was no pressure because I didn't know what I was trying to live up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what was it about you? That made them think. I mean, I'm sure they were right, but what was it about you, perhaps at university, that made them think, yeah, it should be good teaching improv? Um, genuinely, I think it's that I just have very little fear of public speaking or presenting or just being in front of people. Yeah. Um, like you, I've been the same since I was a very small child. Like I've never been shy. Um, I've probably been probably been massively annoying, <laughs> but I just I I think I'm I'm fairly gregarious by nature, and and that was why they asked me, um, which I guess is massively flattering, yes. <laughs> and it's led me down a path to where I am now, and I, for that I can only be eternally grateful to them. So, yeah. So um, talk talk me through the path. <clears throat> The Talk path, okay. Lead me down the path. <clears throat> All right, well, if you insist, Stuart. Um, After your teaching debut. My teaching debut, which was grand. Like, we had a good laugh. We played a lot of freeze tag. All right, okay. It's a classic. It's a classic, and it's just super fun, and people love it, especially when you've had a couple of beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, we sort of doubled a bit with the comedy stuff throughout university and then I came to London after I graduated and I had a 
very serious job in the city. Um, I worked as a management consultant for several years and just needed a creative outlet. And having been introduced to improv, albeit in a very, uh, I don't know, <laughs> slightly off the wall, <laughs> informal way, um, thought, no, I'm going to go and actually learn about it and understand it and give it a proper go and have somebody who knows what they're talking about teach me. <laughs> so I did, I did, gosh, loads of workshops. I met you really mm. early on in that in that process. Yes, we were doing um, the nursery, uh, it was a musical improv course. Yeah, we did the musical improv course together. But however, I think we also did a, we did a storytelling workshop. It was like a weekender oh. at Hoopla really really early on oh, i don't remember that yeah it was only a really short course it wasn't yeah. it was like a full it was just like a workshoppy one at the rag factory i just so distinctly remember meeting you because we did that exercise where you walk around the room mm. occupying the space and you just greet each other oh yes yes, yes and yes. i just have such a vivid recollection of you being like hello <laughs> <laughs> oh he seems nice <laughs> That's very much how I operate everyone. Yeah. Hello. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember doing a storytelling one. I mean, no, I did. Was, was, was it a musical? No. Well, there, wasn't, there wasn't another musical one, no. It was, no, um, it was either. Maybe it was. Maybe it was scenes. It could have been. Could have been. I've done lots of courses. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Steve Rowe special. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I did a whole bunch of short workshops i did a couple um at sprout ideas mm -hmm. and i did a whole bunch at hoopla and um, i did some of the drop-ins at the nursery and just the more i did the more i wanted to do so then i moved on to i think in much the same way as most people can you move on to more uh to longer um courses which have mm. showcases at the end and stuff like that and so i did I did most of my beginner stuff at Hoopla and then moved on to musical improv at mm. Nursery, which is where we worked together for a, for a time. Um, that that was actually, to date, that is still the most yeah. difficult course I've ever done. Not because it was a bad course, yeah, it was a yeah, flipping yeah. brilliant course, yeah. but it was so, I found it so hard. It, I really feel that that one, um, that Nursery musical, improvised musical course that Jules Mons ran, I still feel that's like a pivotal course in my improv. Yeah, life. same. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's really good. That's interesting, that isn't it? I I feel very much the same way about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just it made me realise that improv isn't easy. <laughs> I think up until that point, I was like, oh, God, this is. It's just great crack. I can just say whatever I want and yeah, it's yeah. fine. And, and then you do something like that where there are actual rules because otherwise people can't improvise with you. <laughs> oh God, this, there's a whole, there's a whole different side to this that I had not fully appreciated. And, and that gave me a real appreciation for it, uh, which I needed, I guess, at that point. And there was a couple of moments where I was like, I really don't think I can do this. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then we did our showcase at the end and um, I think it was Phil Lunn who did the yes. accompaniment for us. Yes, yes, it was. And he's such a supportive, fantastic accompanist that 
I think, oh god, I was so nervous before doing it. Yeah. But as soon as we were all on stage, and you jump in and you do your first song, and then finally, finally, <laughs> the nerves kind of dissipate, and you're like, I actually did learn all the stuff that Jules was trying to get me to understand. <laughs> I think the things with thing with musical improv for me is that it it recaptured the excitement and nerves of when I first started doing improv. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Because it was it was like it was another step up, and it was like, oh yeah, I used to feel like this all the time. Ooh. You know, real kind of nerves, but also excitement, mm-hmm. which you do lose slightly. I mean, I still have nerves and excitement for a show, but it's never quite as all-consuming as it is when you first start. Which I'm glad about because it it's a real barrier to get through. Yes. To perform. Absolutely. Um, but then when you do perform, it's such a huge, you know, endorphin rush. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you feel Absolutely. so good afterwards. Yeah. It is something I would like to revisit at some stage, the musical stuff. Yeah. Um, I've seen some fantastic shows recently. and I went to see North Coast. Ah, uh, yes. When they were down a couple of... Well, no, this week just gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Oh, my days. Like, it's, <laughs> it's one of the best things I've seen in ages. Yeah, and yeah. it's just so impressive and so sharp. And I was really, just, I wasn't able to go to do their um, their rapping workshop. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was gutted because obviously they're from New York and they're not over here all that often. Yeah. But next year, I will go. I will clear my diary and I will go. <laughs> Hell, maybe I'll go to New York just to... That sounds a great idea. Yeah. You should all go to New York. Everyone go to New York. (laughs) Go and see North Coast. They're amazing. So around the time of this nursery musical course, you must have joined Shark Door. I did. Well, yeah, it was just... I think I was already in Shark Door when I did that course. But yes, it was around that point in time. Tell me about Shark Door. Because Shark Door, I have a lot of affection for. (laughs) it's so sweet <laughs> it's like oh that's a name that you just don't hear anymore because they're not around anymore they don't exist anymore <laughs> yeah. but when I was starting they seemed to be everywhere in a Gosh. nice way yeah 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 um, so we, th- we were just a bunch of people who kind of randomly uh, got together I think the very original group did a course together and then there was a few of us that were kind of added on and then we lost some of the originals and it was it was a bit just a nice jumble of people who just had an affinity for each other, even though we were wildly, wildly different people. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yes, there was there was a lot of diversity. Yeah, in, yeah. A mixture of people. It were you know, young people, older people, people from all different cultural backgrounds. Um, it, like it was a really. Actually, like thinking about it now, I don't think I appreciated it fully at the time. But for a time, we were a very diverse bunch. Um, I was the token female. <laughs> right. I thought you were going to say you were the token gregarious one. <laughs> no, absolutely not. There was plenty, plenty of that to go around. Um, so, yeah, we were just all pretty new to the improv scene, and I think for a lot of us. I mean, I don't. I don't want to speak for anyone, of course, but I, th- I get the feeling that for a lot of us, it was a great opportunity just to meet people, and it became quite a big part of people's social lives. And you know, for me, I wasn't hugely happy at work, so improv was my outlet for that. I think you know, for other people. 
it might have been you know they didn't want to necessarily be at home or they didn't you know other stuff was amiss and um really throwing ourselves into the improv scene was a great way to it was a great release mm. i think so it was a very active group mm. for a not a not a tremendous amount of time i don't mm. think i think we only really existed properly for about a year or so mm. um and then you know as with every group there was ebbs and flows yeah. and um, I actually ended up leaving London for for a year because I went off to do a master's degree, and so that that was the point at which I exited through the shark door, as it were. <laughs> um, and I think the guys, there was a few new people, and I, I think they did sort of gig quite a lot for a time, and then don't really remember that. They, they, yeah, then they there was for one reason or another, people kind of went their separate ways, and and fairly organically, the shark. Eight. <laughs> Everyone, my metaphor has gone a bit wrong. <laughs> yes, I would like to be able to help you with that metaphor. Mm. Um, <laughs> and around that time, you, uh, you, I think we, uh, you, we shared a stage for the first time when you uh, joined uh, me for the last ever Saturday mornings show. Do you remember this? Oh yeah, I do. Was that in um? Was that in the Dog Star? In yes, Brixton? in Brixton. Yes, it was. Yes, yes, I do remember that. So we had been doing um, Saturday morning kids TV programs, and I think people's enthusiasm were were was waning. Uh, so we used to come on and we do short form games, um, but say we were doing a Saturday morning kids program, and this last one I reinvented the format so that Kate came along, and she was going to judge whether the Saturday mornings would be cancelled or not. Um, and so we had uh, written down, uh, it was going to be a clip show, uh, so we had written down um, clips that people would like to see. So we enacted um, the, the, the different clips and then we, you interviewed us. Yeah. And then in the end you had the choice of uh, whether to cancel the show or not. Um, what we didn't realise at the time was it was the last oh Saturday morning God. show. I don't think I... I mean, I clearly didn't know that either. No, well, no, we didn't know that at the time. Oh, God. So I don't think you did cancel it. Thank God. if you had... It, it would have been okay. It would have worked as well, wow. yes. Oh, gosh. That's so interesting. I did not realise that. Well, I started thinking about it recently because it occurred to me that actually that format was the genesis of the Dr. Tuprov format uh, that I do now with Bryn. Yeah, Where yeah. you have... Uh, you know, one side of the stage where you're having a conversation or an interview or something like that, and then you go to the other side of the stage and then you play out scenes, which I realised I didn't invent, um, <laughs> being the living room format. Um, but it just occurred to me that, oh, yeah, this format that I thought, I, you know, actually had its, um, you know, inheritance in that. And actually that was another pivotal moment for me because yeah. it was like where we had the mythology of the one show um, not the one show on BBC, but a show, <laughs> one show. Um, and then I was able to kind of use that mythology to look at it from a different perspective. Mm. Then the group fell, folded. But anyway, it was it was fun while it lasted. So. Yeah. Oh wow, gosh, that's a really fun throwback. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you um, improv inspired you to change career. Is that right? Yeah, in a sense, it did. Um, so, like I mentioned, I when I first moved to London, I was working in the city and I was a management consultant, uh, <laughs> um, 
which was not something I ever planned on being. Like, no, no child grows up and tells their parents, parents, I want to be a management consultant. Um, I actually, as a small child, wanted to be a scientist. All right, okay. Just generic scientist. That's good, that's good, because uh, interdisciplinarity... Uh, is really important. So you, your right? child self was very on there. You know, yeah, um, I, I was really woke um, <laughs> as a five-year-old. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I I stumbled into the world of management consulting and learned an awful lot while I was there. Worked in some very high-pressure situations. Gained some great people management skills, project management skills. I'm flipping excellent with an Excel spreadsheet. Nice. Should anyone... If anyone needs any Excel spreadsheet help, right. I am here. Excellent. Uh, yes, he did excellent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I could say I found that. That was just me being enthusiastic. But thank you for making me look better. It's all about you making your scene partner look good. So I, I, try, think, I, I thank try. you for that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, I... It's a really intense world to work in. Like your whole world becomes very occupied just with work and striving to get promoted, and you. It's very competitive, and you. You know, in order, it's a very up or out culture as well. So you know, you're always striving to be better than your peers, yeah. and that was one of the reasons why I, I just needed something else. Yeah, and, yeah. And improv very much became that thing. That and tag rugby, which. <laughs> is for a different podcast, but <laughs> it's my other great passion. Um, so I, you know, just churned the wheel and got promoted out of their graduate scheme and <sighs> carried on there for a couple more years. So I'd probably been there for about four years in total when I realised I just wasn't interested in what I was doing. Like, I could turn up to work and you know work your yeah. crazy hour weeks and whatever and, and get it done and and do it to a good standard and get paid absurd amounts of money to do it because, I mean I don't know why people are paid what they're paid to work there but I guess it's because you have no life yeah. um and I just realized like I don't care I, I'm not that driven by material things and so why am I doing this thing that I don't like mm -hmm. I mean I don't I certainly don't love it I don't yeah. think I even like it yeah. like, it's just a means to an end um so I thought oh god I really have to find the thing that I want to do with my life um and I really racked my brains for about a year thinking what can I do where I can use this um my understanding of, of business and all of the skills that I've developed over the course of the past few years and apply creativity to it in some way. And I've, I've always enjoyed writing. Um, I, I have a blog, which is a bit on hiatus at the moment, but I, I blog with my friend about women's sport and fitness. So thesegirlsdo.com, if anyone would like to check it out. Um, I also um, dabble a bit in like comedy writing and poetry and that kind of stuff. And then obviously improv is a thing that I do loads of. And so the thing that I, the, the Venn diagram of those two worlds I discovered leads to advertising, marketing ah, and advertising. Yeah. So I went off to do my master's degree in advertising. And um, so I'm now a, a 
what what is referred to as a conceptual creative. Whoa. So I am the guy who comes up with the ideas for ad campaigns. Wow. Um, so, you know, or, you know, the guy who writes the, the famous line on the campaign or, um, and I'm also a copywriter. So, you know, I'll, I'll write scripts and treatments and whatever. And it's great. I love it. Um, but yeah, it, I, I use improv skills every single day at work. So without improv, I wouldn't have changed and I'd still be bashing out spreadsheets and selling consulting deals to global banks <laughs> fair enough well um, I imagine somebody has to do that but why does that have to be you um, <laughs> yeah exactly somebody else who takes no joy in life can do that if they want to that's absolutely fine I'm sure it appeal I'm sure some people get massive gratification yeah. from it it just wasn't for me fair enough so um, and you do improv on the radio? I do! With John Holmes? Yeah! Tell me about that. I do. Oh, okay, so... Um, I... I have a friend who I met through the improv world, uh, Alex Sivright, who is a fantastic improviser and actor. And he he's done an awful lot of stuff on stage, but in recent times he has found a real love of uh, voice artistry. So, and he's, he's brilliant at it. And we, we've worked on a few different projects together. Um, we were on a, a, a podcast called Numbskull Island for a time, mm-hmm. um, which was really great fun. And it was just like mad, madcap characters. And, and it, it's still out there in the ether for people to listen to if they'd like to. Um, but he, I don't know how it, came up for him I didn't that didn't make sense as a sentence sorry I commit (laughs) commit (laughs) thank you I will practice what I preach um (laughs) I don't know how he came to be on John Holmes's radio show but he invited me to participate um because he knows that I've enjoyed doing audio improv as well as stuff on stage um and also, like, having more female voices is can only be a good thing. Um, she says, as a woman. <laughs> I say as a man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, John had a show on talk radio where he had a, a segment called The Big Debate. And um, every day, I, I think it was every day, yeah, we two of us would go on and just have a debate about literally edit like turnips or <laughs> the price of soap flakes or like whatever it happened to be that day yeah, yeah, yeah. and we just go on and I think I mean we're obviously supposed to be members of the public phoning up but <laughs> in a much more kind of madcap fun way um and then uh yeah so John that that show doesn't actually exist exist anymore but he now does the Saturday daytime show on Radio Kent and just as a nod to that segment on his old show he now has a few of us on a roster who will phone up and chat to him on his uh Saturday show just talking about mad stuff just to you know, bring bring a bit of joy to people's Saturdays down in Kent. What more could you ask yeah. for? Yeah, <laughs> um, the show was nominated for an Aria Award um, last week. We were nominated for the funniest show, 
Wow. And we won the bronze award. Wow, So we're now officially the third funniest radio show in the UK. Hey! Which we're very, very pleased about. That's a good place to be. That's a yes. good place to be. Yeah, so we were delighted to be invited up to the awards ceremony in Leeds. And, um, yeah, John looked great in his, uh, his tuxedo. And I wore a big frilly... <laughs> frilly twill skirt because I was like it's an award ceremony <laughs> what else am I going to wear this mad skirt that I bought so yeah it was great I felt it was like the budget Oscars it was great yeah fantastic I saw the um, I don't know if you saw in the newspaper but Charlie Sloth who is a DJ for Radio 1 Extra got into a whole bunch of trouble because he pulled a Kanye he basically really? got up on stage after Edith Bowman's show was awarded. I think it was Best Alternative Music Show. Uh, and he has a, a rap show on One Extra. And Edith Bowman does a, uh, I think it's like a movie scores show, oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is a yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. And she won, rightly so. It's a great show. And he got up on, on stage and pr- he said, I'm going to let you finish like Kanye West did to Taylor Swift at some awards do a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just like turned the air blue and said, my show, your, my mother listens to your show, Edith Bowman. My show is for the kids and like, you know, like a mic drop situation. Right. And then he walked. So I saw all that happen. Wow. And then his boss got on the stage about two awards later for something he had won. Yeah. And he said, Charlie Sloth no, no longer works for the BBC. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, improv led to yes. me witnessing the <laughs> the mic drop of the century <laughs> at the ARIA Awards. Cool. So, if someone was to step on stage of you, yeah. what could they do to delight you? Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I love this one. Um, I knew you were going to ask me this and I still didn't really Prepare. have a prepared answer. <laughs> I don't know whether to be happy or sad <laughs> The improviser uh, yeah, is the, delighted. The improviser the in me was like, is, is less happy about that. <laughs> the improviser in me was like, something will come to you, Kate. You will be inspired in that moment. <laughs> um, what, if somebody was to step on stage with me, what could they do to delight me? That's such a good question. Um... I mean, it happens all the time. People delight me all the time. I really love being endowed with something ridiculous <laughs> and just having to go with it yeah. um, and a lot of the descendants are really great at that so I, I don't mean it in a I don't mean it in a being punked sort of way I I mean it in a in a very constructive way but people will they will gift you these things that you would never consider doing for yourself so whether it's um physical attribute or an attitude towards the world it just helps you build a character that you wouldn't necessarily have created for yourself and I love that that's one of my favorite things and I I try and return the favor as well in our shows Um, so yeah that would be that was what would delight me and big final question What's your signature move? What is this the move that brings the house down, saves the day, has everyone going, classic Kate? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, 
I really hope that I do have a classic Kate moment. Um, what is my signature move? Plus also the classic and the Kate, I know it's with a K, but it has a uh, pleasing uh, it's sound. It's a beautiful alliteration, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I really enjoy being the voice in somebody else's head. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so there's nothing worse, I've, in my opinion at least, than being left alone on stage feeling like you don't know what to do. So being abandoned, as it were. Um, So sometimes it's necessary for a character to be alone on stage for whatever reason, for for story development or, you know, to to allow, I don't know, inspiration to come to that person. But sometimes you can just get the feeling that your cast mate it has sort of just been left there and isn't necessarily comfortable. Yeah. So uh, in those moments, I like to go and be either, you know, a voice of God or, you know, literally like an angel or a devil yeah, yeah, yeah. type character oh, on a shoulder um, just to allow them the opportunity to have a conversation whilst still being... Alone, yeah, as yeah, it were, yeah. Because yeah. um, at least that way you're you're supporting, but you're not. People need room to breathe. Yes. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> do more of that. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that only leaves me to say, thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That was so fun. I literally, <laughs> my cheeks are sore from smiling so much. Marvelous. That was so nice. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. I made this. That's improv. <laughs>